Hello, everyone, and welcome to First Gen Gamers. And it is the concluding episode of our trilogy. Of hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, introductions. I'm Jed. He's Mike. Welcome to the show. Um, if you've been listening for the past couple of weeks, uh, you've been hearing us go through generation by generation, painstakingly, <laughs> um, <laughs> what we're thankful for for get in the history of gaming. We are uh currently up to the sixth generation, the the last of it, the the big Mac Daddy console of the sixth generation, the PlayStation 2. That is right. Yeah, no, the fifth and the sixth gen, apparently there was a lot we were thankful for, for sure. <laughs> I don't think the list is going to get any shorter with the other two gens left on the you- list too. <laughs> Oh no. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll try to speed through and do the best we can. I really do want to conclude this as a trilogy as well, yep. uh, because we, we, we need, we got uh, so many other things we need to move on to and talk about. So, Absolutely. We'll tr- uh, but you know what? I'm going to take it as a positive that we are so grateful that we just couldn't stop talking about the things that we love about gaming. I think that's a really positive sign yeah. and tells us that we're in the right place doing the right thing. Exactly. Cause like it, <laughs> You go on any way, even the most industry polishing websites, IGN, um, you know, they will, there's still a lot of negative journalism that you will find. Not that we won't ever touch on topics that, that veer a little bit, you know, a little more scolding or a little more negative, but we're in this, we're trying to be positive right now. We're trying to have some fun, go through our history and have some fun. And it, like you said, it's a, it's a good thing. I, it's, Looking back on some of the memories has been, has brought a smile to my soul. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, with that said, PS2, we ran through the list of games last week, but uh, let's go ahead and pick out a few and talk about them. So any memories jumping out at you like right away that you want to talk about? Absolutely. Um, Okay. So one game that I didn't even mention in my countdown last week, and I'm so amazed that I forgot it. I'm embarrassed that I forgot it because it, because it's one of my favorite franchises of all time. It had three games on the PlayStation 2. Two of them are good. One of them's eh. Uh, and that would be the Legacy of Kane series. Oh, yeah. Um, Blood Omen 2 was fine. Um, but Soul Reaver 2 and Defiance. Um I just have so many memories connected to that whole franchise in and of itself. The Shakespearean melodramatic, but in a in a fun way, dialogue, the convoluted, but amazing plot, the, uh, the atmosphere of the game. It's, it's Gothic, but futuristic, but medieval all at the same time. Um, I played soul reaver two and, um, and Defiance, I got those shortly after I moved to Michigan and was with my wife. Uh, I mean, we were fiancés at the time. And a, a big memory of the, of playing those two is tied to her watching me play them. And if I would get stumped with a puzzle, she'd be like, no, just rotate the mirror. <laughs> or, or yeah, the, the thing you need to do is over there in that corner. And... Uh, that's how the, like, I think I mentioned playing with my, no, because this is when I've met her. So we haven't, um, this generation and the next generation, there was a lot of 
passive couch co-op, you could say, of the wife watching me play and being kind of the navigator. I um, like that. That's, that's cool. Yeah. It's good bonding time. Yeah. <laughs> um, couple other memories tied to her and gaming as well. Um, uh, Grand Theft Auto 3. Mm. She never, she played it. She didn't finish a single mission. She didn't even start a single mission. The mm. only thing she did in that game is there is a starting area very close, or there's a city park very close to the starting area. Uh, it's a really small area. It's got this arch kind of in it, kind of like the Arc de Triomphe, but much smaller in scale, obviously. And for some reason, she became fascinated with camping in a location, turning on, using the cheat codes to turn on all the weapons, Mm. and then just going on a killing spree. Rampage. Yeah, just absolute rampage. She called it the Alley of Death, even though it wasn't an alley. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and all she I get would, it all she would do for 10 minutes is just kill every pedestrian that passed by and it was there was something charming about watching this she came she comes from a very americana background uh you know just the the mom and dad together the two kids the white picket fence the small town america very sweet very I don't want to say innocent, but she, she was just a very, she, she's very pure, true North, uh, lawful good. Yeah, she yeah. She had a classic, calm, steady, stable upbringing. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. My wife's pretty much the same way. Yeah. So to watch her be law, you know, most of the time lawful good, and then she would turn on Grand Theft Auto 3 and she'd become chaotic evil. Just go straight goblin mode. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It was like, who are you? What? Who am I marrying? but it's kind of hot. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think it's great when you find somebody that doesn't mind going goblin mode every once in a while and think you found something special. Yeah. Uh, and the other gaming memory tied to her from PlayStation 2 is from Monster Rancher 3. Mm. It is a very obscure. Um, I know I talked Monster Rancher in the prior game or in the prior episode. Monster Rancher 3 took a little bit different tactic. It still used the disc swapping thing to generate monsters, but instead of being able to crossbreed your monsters, what would happen is that you would the mo- you're, you're, you could only have one monster in inventory at a time. You couldn't like freeze them and hold on to them. You would run that monster, then it would die, and then it would you would feed the heart of that monster to the new monster and it would imbue it with the previous monster's essence and possibly crossbreed it. It's kind of gruesome. Mm. And now you've been married quite a while, you know, and anyone who else has been married or even just with someone for a long time, you develop inside jokes. For sure. Yeah. And they come from the weirdest, stupidest places. And one of those inside jokes can't count, uh, comes from monster rancher three. There Mm. was a, I couldn't even tell you what the dialogue scene was, but there's a shot where, um, you know, the dialogue box pops up and there's a little, um, picture of the person. It's your, uh, training assistant and she's reacting to whatever you've said or what someone else has said. And, Mm. um, it's spelled out, it's onomatopoeia. So it's, you know, like Yelp or bark or whatever would be, except for this is, M N N N G H. Okay. Mung. 
I don't know yeah. what the fuck Mung is. I've never seen Mung anywhere. And for some reason, my wa- we're playing it. My wife saw it. She's like, what the hell is Mung? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Mung became our became that inside joke to us. So it's just, it's just kind of, we assume it's kind of a moment of surprise of, of like, uh, angry surprise. Like you're yeah. angry, but you don't know how to express it. So it's just, Mung! <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah japanese onomatopoeia i think it's interesting that onomatopoeia changes so drastically depending on your language of origin and so then when you try to localize that onomatopoeia weird shit happens right <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah it it translates but it doesn't translate and it's i heard uh especially like if there's voice acting i don't remember the game but I remember either watching a Let's Play or playing like probably an NIS America game or something. And the lady character, she was mad. So she goes, Murgurger. And I'm like, what is that? What is Murgurger? And she would say that whenever she got mad. And I think it was written out to just be like, mm, but that's, she literally tried to pronounce it. And it was, it was, uh, I think that's a really fun way yeah. to express your anger. Murgurger. <laughs> Sometimes those mistranslations are better than accurate translations. Well, that reminds me of a story of shared language that I had with my best friend uh, playing Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. So for those who are uninitiated, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance on PS2 was a kind of isometric top-down dungeon crawler, probably one of the best on the system, maybe one of the best of all time, to be honest. Uh, But then again, I didn't play a whole lot of the PC versions. I'm sure those will rock it. But for what it was, uh, having that couch co-op experience with a friend was really great. And there's usually a voice line that plays when one of the characters dies by the other character. And my best friend, he would always play the elven sorceress, and I would always play the dwarven warrior, right? And the sorceress, unfortunately, not as beefy as the, a bit of a glass cannon. So he got, you know, bodied a few more times than I did. And we got used to hearing the dwarven character say, I'll avenge you. But the dwarf is, of course, you know, like coded Scottish. So he's like, I'll avenge ye. <laughs> And <laughs> we developed this meta narrative because it sounds like he's saying, I love Angie. So basically they're in a relationship and then she's dying in his arms. And instead of saying, I I'll always love you. He like admits to her that he actually loves her friend. Uh, I love Angie. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, pat- yeah. And then she dies. And, and then like, of course you awkwardly bring her back. And then she's like, what the hell man? Um, but that became like a thing whenever we were playing games and we were co-oping and somebody died, the other person would be like, oh, I love Angie. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like our inside, uh, you know, joke for, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, picking on somebody when they, when they got, when they perished, basically. Nice. I love those kind of memories. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, hey, shout out to the listeners. If you guys have shared language, from playing games email us and let us know we want to hear those stories those are fun stories absolutely those kind of stories are just the it's part of what makes gaming fun is is that way of bonding over something that is completely ridiculous for sure for sure um, uh oh go ahead sorry uh i was gonna say two other games that i wanted to mention memories of yeah yeah, um, yeah. i mean because there's I could go on and on. There's dozens on this console alone, but I think the two other prominent ones, uh, one 
is Metal Gear Solid 3. Yes. Not to discount Metal Gear Solid 2, because that one is just a... That is crazier than a bag of kittens in a river. It's um, wild. Yeah. that uh, Everything that I said about Legacy of Kane being a convoluted uh, series, Metal Gear Solid 2 stuffs it into one game. It makes Legacy of Kane look like a Barney episode. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember seeing the, the, the true ending where the Patriots have been dead for a hundred years. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, they're AI <laughs> primordial. <laughs> like, where are we going from there? Yeah. Um, but late, but Metal Gear Solid three was such a left turn, you know, taking it back to the sixties and bringing it down, you know, reducing the technology, no AI, no, uh, no digital camo, no, none of the wild shit that was in Metal Gear Solid two, but what stands out to me for that, what that one is, that is the first game ever that made me cry mm. because of the ending, the relationship <laughs> between big boss and the boss. Um, so big boss being the person you play as basically the, the solid snake analog, right? Cause he looks just like solid snake, which makes sense. Cause solid snake is a clone of his, again, the plot's convoluted. Yep. But yeah, the boss being kind of like this matronly motherly figure, but also kind of their emotion, their, their relationship seemed to transcend the buckets or categories that we like to divide relationships up in. And it was one of the first instances where I realized that love doesn't really need to be divided into a bucket or have be placed into a box. Like this is your lover. This is your sister. This is your mother. This is your friend. There was something about their relationship that kind of transcended that. You know what I mean? It was just like a, a pure bond. Yes. And to see what she had to do and then what he had to do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The amount of respect and love between the two of them it was a, is a tragedy the way things uh, played out. Yes. And you could, you could see how that ending, how he does, you know, he, he gets what she did. He gets that she did it be out of, out of orders. Um, yeah. but he doesn't understand it and he doesn't understand that the, that, you know, he doesn't under, it's not that he doesn't comprehend it and understand the details of it, but he doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to him. And mm -hmm. that a world in which she had been a hero in a world where she had been, uh, someone that the nation revered and needed, and then to be dis not only discarded into history, but buried mm -hmm. and it. It, it embitters him. It it poisons whatever patriotism and sense of duty he had left. That ending sets up the entire franchise. Everything that happens forward from Metal Gear Solid Three can be traced back to that ending and the yeah. and what happened. And that's just so. It's such a well written moment that it just. The first time I got it, the first time I saw it, it just, it got to me so hard. And it landed at a great time too, because you could say that nowadays it's in vogue to challenge your leaders, not trust government, to under, to be disillusioned with just how corrupt things are and just how not working for you, the powers that be are, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the 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 lie that is patriotism and, and the propaganda that goes along with it. 
But at the time that that game hit, I think a lot of people, you know, they they were raised by boomers. They grew up, you know, hating communism. They grew up like loving your country no matter what and being really uncritical of America. So I don't know, because obviously it's a Japanese game. They, they have their own issue with nationalism and their history being in the axis. But I, I feel like they really kind of nailed the disillusionment that a lot of Americans go through, I think, when it comes to being in the service yes. right, and, and what that actually means and then how you're taken care of afterwards and how you see that you're manipulated and used as pawns and cast aside. That, that scene where, you know, he's supposed to shake hands with the president and secretary of state and everybody else and just kind of like he just stops. He can't do it anymore. He walks out mm-hmm. like it's it's almost as powerful to me as the final scene in First Blood, which made me cry. Yeah. You remember that? Yes. It was wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very powerful I because. I am not a soldier and I have not been in that world, but I do understand just from, you know, being socialized masculine in the eighties, being socialized as a man, I understand the sense of duty, the sense of honor that goes along with serving your country and the expectation that goes along with that. And then to have, to understand just how devalued you are and how manipulated you are and like coming out of that, it's gotta be devastating. You know, and to go along with what you were saying too, not only did it come, you know, it come out at a time for people who had grown up with the baby boomers or under the baby boomers and such, it also came out only what two, three years after 9 11. Yeah. So, right. Patriotism was high. Don't question mm-hmm. the president. I mean, remember what happened to the Dixie Chicks when they dared question the president? They, I do. They nuked their own career because of it. So yeah. for this game to come out and to say patriotism has a cost and yeah. you know, you may love your country, your country may not love you back. Yeah, it may not be worth paying that cost. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So powerful uh, stuff. Absolutely. So um to move away from something heavy like that the last game that i'd like to talk about um and i this was the tease that i dropped at the end of last episode oh yeah 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 yes. yeah, yeah. okay my favorite game of all time and this is going to be a curveball is a game called res i remember you talking about res on our show yes so for those who haven't played res it's a rail shooter taking place in the third person perspective um the plot is not incredibly deep. You are a hacker. You, uh, it's way in the future. Uh, world is run by a central computer. The central computer has gone haywire. You are tasked with hacking through the multiple layers of defenses and destroying all the viruses and curing the mother brain. Uh, it's not called mother brain, but it's, I mean, that's the, the gist of it. Yeah. What makes res so unique is the concept came from the neurological condition called synesthesia, which is when the brain's mapping of the senses are why are crosswired. People with synesthesia, you know, they will hear music and they will and they will experience See not colors. only yeah they will not only yeah. experience an, the aural sensation of hearing it, they will experience another sensation like they'll. You know, Nirvana, they'll listen to Nirvana and it tastes like fish or they'll listen to or they'll listen to uh, TLC and they see the color blue. Um, 
Same thing with tastes or names or words can be associated with colors, things like that. So mm. the game is built around a form of that in that the, the actions that you take in the game change the visuals of the game. They bring the background, they, they add background elements. Uh, though when you shoot an enemy down, it adds beats to the music. And the music and the beats that are added to it through your actions are then transferred into the force feedback into the controller. So you've got this audio, visual, textile loop mm. of all three interacting and reacting with and to each other. It's it's not a deep game. Like I said, it's a rail shooter, but I love the concept so much, and I love the way, the different ways that you can play it. Like, you can... You can shoot down until, you know, a wave of four enemies will come and you can shoot down each one individually and it will give you that tink, 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 tink. Or you can link them and it will automatically go tink, 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 and it will change mm -hmm. the beat and it, will, yeah. and it will change the force feedback. Something about all the way that all of those things combine is just, to me, it's just, it makes for a simple magical game that I can go back and play again and again and again. I I had it on PlayStation 2. I bought the remaster for it on PlayStation 4. I've platinumed it, which took for freaking ever. Um <laughs> it I I know it's an odd pick. It's not a deep story, it's not a deep game, but it is for some reason it's just the game that whenever I think of video games, that's the first game that comes to mind for me. I get it. Um, in a way, it's kind of a pure video game because, you know, you talk about how video games as a medium can help you experience something that can't really be matched by music, books, or movies because there's an interactive element. But that's really taking that and dialing it up to 11 because that interactive element crosses, like you said, so many sensory inputs. And it's something, it's an experience where, whereas the story of Metal Gear can sort of be replicated in a movie, right? Um, and there are other video game elements that can be done and still presented and get the point across in different mediums. This is one of those examples that you really can only do it with a video game. Mm -hmm. And it's such a special, unique experience that people, whether like, like video games or not, should check out. Absolutely. And if, if, for, if you haven't checked it out, especially the remaster, um, I mean, the original is beautiful as well, but the remaster glosses it up so much. There's a VR mode. Uh, mm -hmm. So you could play it on uh, PSVR. I'm sure that it's out on Steam as well. It is so worth it. It is just, it's a pure, it's just pure game, like you said. Yeah, straight up. All right. Well, we are 23 minutes in, so I'm going to try to be brief because I had a lot of games to talk about too. Um, I'll talk about getting a PS2 because I think that's a fun memory. I'm in the mall with my mom. I'm... I'm trying to remember when PS2 came out. I'm probably 18, maybe 17. I don't know. Late 2000, um, I believe, right? Right before Christmas 2000, if I remember correctly. Okay. Then, yeah, um, I would have been, I would have been 18, just turned 18, still in school. Uh, and my mom turns to me because we were in the KB Toys and they have, they, PlayStation 2 had just come out. So obviously it was just running off the shelf. Like you couldn't get one. KB Toys had one. But you had to pay $500 because it came with three games. It was a package deal. Okay. You, you couldn't get it for less. It was the PS2 plus three games. You get to choose which three games you want. And my mom looks at me because she sees I want it. And she's like, okay, you can get this 
or you can get a car. And I was like, okay. And I thought about it and I was like, well, I already have a girlfriend and a bus pass. And I, I go to school in Broderpool, uh, which for those who don't know about, you know, the local Indianapolis area, that is a kind of hot spot of hangouts. So like, there's all the stuff I can do after school. I don't have to really drive anywhere. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I want a PlayStation too, like a real gamer would. <laughs> Priorities. Love it. Right. So I got that with Tekken Tag Tournament, Dynasty Warriors 2, and SSX, the snowboarding game. Dynasty Warriors 2 in particular, I, I had a lot of fun with the other two games, don't get me wrong, but Dynasty Warriors 2 launched my decades long and still current love affair with Musou games, uh, which is a style of game that basically Omega Force and then eventually Koei Tecmo coined where it's just waves and waves of enemies and it's kind of mindless button mashing but they do introduce RPG elements and more complications as the series went on but just mowing down all those enemies on screen for me I was already a big fan of beat em ups but to me Amuso was like the ultimate beat em up you know what I mean but like in 3D mm-hmm. and so I always love the fact that I made that decision And I've never looked back and thought it was the wrong one specifically because of how amazing the PS2 was from that point forward, all the cool games that I got to play and specifically because I love dynasty warriors so much. And then all of its, uh, you know, iterations and spinoffs and and things of that nature. Um, I think I talked about God of war before, so I'm not going to mention that again. I mean, it's amazing. What, what, What is there to say? I talked about how I followed kingdom hearts, silent Hill, scary as shit. Um, uh, I talked about dark Alliance already time crisis too. I got a gun con for the PS2 and I love like shooter game, like gun shooter games. So that was really cool. Um, shadow of Colossus bully ratchet and clank guitar hero. God, there are so many memories. There's so many memories. I remember playing guitar hero and being really good at it and being able to look away from the screen and still play the game and impress my friends. Uh, and that was like the ultimate party game at the time. And then of course it evolved into rock band. Ratchet and Clank, like one of the best platforming shooters oh, yeah. of all time. One of the few games that would make me bust out laughing out loud. Like it just had like a humor that hit and it was very silly and fun. The The weapons and stuff throughout the series were always wacky and very inventive and beautiful. And, and the game just really kind of pushed whatever system it was on graphically. And then at Shadow Colossus, I played many iterations of it, but the original Shadow Colossus is a mood. I remember just sitting in the house that I was renting with my best friend and another friend of mine when I was like post-college playing Shadow of Colossus, like really getting into it, like feeling the somber tones, the exploration, getting to the next Colossus, figuring out how to beat it, taking it down, feeling slightly sad, rinse, repeat. (laughs) It might be one of the first games in video games where it, that started the video game as artwork uh, mentality. It definitely raised back up that that uh, ever-present conversation because people were trying to compare video games to art for the longest time. And I think separating your bias, you can make a case because art needs to be created in order to create video games. That's what assets are, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that's what the vision is. But to create like an artistic art house experience in the way that other kind of audio visual media like movies can do 
you're right. Like once we get into that era, like Ico, Shadow Colossus, and then, you know, moving on to other indie games like Braid, you get this sense of vision and this sense of like trying to elicit certain emotions out of the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I completely agree. Like Shadow Colossus is one of those games that nails it every time. So, um, for the risk of going on too long, I am going to cut it off there. PS2, amazing system. I could talk about it all day, just like you. Yep. Uh, but let's let's get on to the seventh generation, see if we can knock seven and eight out in a half hour. I doubt it. But if we need to go along on this episode, we'll go along. <laughs> That's what we're here for. That's what we're, we do for you. Talk about video games for way too long. <laughs> way too long. Way too long. We hope you listen for way too long. All right. So, seventh generation, we got the PS3, Xbox 360, the Nintendo Wii, and I did throw the Nintendo DS on there because, again, I had a couple games I wanted to discuss. So, let me get that out of the way real quick. Okay. To me, the definitive Tetris up until recently with, uh, what's that version of Tetris that they, Tetris Connect? What was it called? Um, The one that's on, oh, yeah. uh, All the modern systems. Tetris Effect. Tetris effect. Thank you. That I could say could make a case for the best Tetris game of all time, because again, it's kind of got a res vibe to it, mm-hmm. the audio visual and how it, you know, the music uh, changes depending on how you're doing. But up until that point, definitively without a doubt, I would always say the best Tetris game ever was Tetris DS. For those who haven't experienced it, you should seek it out. Tetris DS not only has your classic Tetris, but it has so many other game modes that are actually kind of interwoven with different popular Nintendo franchises. And the different ways that you can play Tetris themed after like Metroid or Legend of Zelda or Mario, like some versions of Tetris where you can actually go through those older games, depending on how far you get in the Tetris game. So you get to watch that play out. Uh, you know, adventure style or the 3d Tetris blob that you turn and add pieces to kind of like a, a big f- uh, ball of foil. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's, there's the puzzle one where you kind of have to put a certain number of pieces in order to clear all the lines. Like they had all these different versions and modes of Tetris in one game. They really packed Tetris DS with as much content as possible. And it's so fun and so unique and nothing like it has been done since, to my knowledge, uh, that I really think that people should check it out, especially if they're fans of Tetris. And then I want to highlight Retro Game Challenge. Have you heard of this game? No. You would love it. I think you would love it. Let me explain it. So Retro Game Challenge is a little bit of an obscure Nintendo DS game. I think you can find it used for around 30 or 40 bucks, but if you, if you, you know, don't mind having just the cartridge... It is, the concept is that there's this game master guy who's like obsessed with retro games, right? And he's mad that other people only want to play modern games. And eventually like his psychosis turns him into like this game master where he's sucked into the gaming world and he has these gaming powers. And what he does is he takes you, the player, he transports you back in time to 1980s Japan where he lived and grew up. So you go to his house and meet child him and child him is obnoxious, but he's a good kid. Right. And he gets all the new Famicom games and he sees that future him is challenging you. Like you'll be stuck here forever unless you do my game challenges. And he's like, Oh, that sucks, man. I'll do what I can to help you. And they make their own versions of retro games. 
up to and including like a retro style like shinobi a retro style flicky but with ninjas a retro style like uh like rc8 like rc am racer top down okay. game mm-hmm. there's there's a retro style dragon quest game like so they they cover rpg racing action all that and the game releases come out in sequence and the cool thing is is that you'll have challenges like say you're playing like a galaga type shooter and you have to get like 20,000 points or you have to find a warp to get to the next level right and just like the older games actually in the 80s there's all these secrets and codes but your boy has a subscription to a gaming magazine so they made their own gaming magazine complete with reviews walkthroughs tips tricks codes and on the bottom of the ds screen it's you and the other kid in front of a tv on the floor playing and on the top is the actual game and you get this full experience of going and reading about the game in your magazine and then going and trying to do the challenge and then like getting challenged again and reading the next magazine and finding out what new games are going to come out and and more tips and tricks and then when you beat all the challenges you unlock free play mode and there's a challenge to actually beat all the games if you want but the vibe that this game establishes being able to kind of go back in time to being a kid and reading about your games in your magazine and playing them with a friend next to you who's cheering you on audibly like yeah go that type of thing it it it's so amazing the game is a little shorter than i would like i i would have liked to see it really kind of go further and expand on this idea but there's been no other game like it and for people who are really into retro gaming or people our age who grew up in the 80s playing games, it's such a nostalgia trip. It really is. It sounds like it. That does sound like my kind of game. Yeah. No, I think you would dig it. I really do. So if you have a way to emulate or you want to go out and try to track down a copy, I would highly recommend it. Uh, what's your major console for 7th Gen? PS3, right? Uh, actually, we had both the PS3 and the Wii. Uh, okay. got, got the Wii first, then a couple of years later, got the PS3. All right. Well, uh, let, let's go for Wii next. Uh, okay. what, do you have any memories associated with, with Wii? Oh, absolutely. Um, let's see. Uh, first of all, the as far as I'm concerned, the best 3D Mario, Super Mario Galaxy. Okay. Um, I can, just saying the phrase Super Mario Galaxy, I can hear that title screen music. Um, <laughs> I some of the most gorgeous visuals in a in a Mario 3D game uh the most gorgeous music just for me it was the first time since Mario World maybe even Mario 3 where it where the idea of the Mario game was just this sense of scope and wonder hmm. um i say that knowing that Mario 64 was the first Mario 3D game. I didn't play that until much, much later. So sorry, Mario 64 fans. Um, But that would Mario Galaxy is my 3D Mario. Nice. Uh, Rock Band, like you were mentioning with Guitar Hero, um, played a lot of Rock Band, uh, probably have a good 70 extra DLC songs um, stored on the SD card. Uh, made an attempt one New Year's Eve with a couple of friends over. We made an attempt at the ultimate set list. Wow. Uh, too many people started falling asleep. Uh, we think we got to the 81st, 82nd song. Isn't that like five hours long? I can't remember because we tried it too. I don't know if we ever got to the end of it, but isn't it like hours and hours long? Uh, it's like seven or eight hours long, I think. Jesus. And the, wow. And you can't stop. 
no, no stop. you have to keep going. It's yeah. just like one song after the other. Yeah. yeah. We made the, the smart decision to at least rotate instruments so that way no one was getting tired of doing the same thing. But yeah. even still, I mean, there's only so much Mountain Dew you can drink to keep yourself up before you're <laughs> like, well, it's 4 a.m. And now I have to sing Judas Priest's Painkiller. <laughs> this is the painkiller. <laughs> That's so fun, by the way. Oh, yeah. I tricked my friends into playing. They didn't know what they were playing, and I was singing because um, I wanted to watch them struggle. And, like, it's just, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. and they're like, what are you doing to us? <laughs> that song is so difficult. <laughs> you know, the song that, that gave, at least my wife's favorite instrument was the drums. Yeah. The song that gave her the fits the most was Cherub Rock by the Smashing Pumpkins. I could see that. Because it's such the. Jimmy Chamberlain, the drummer for the Pumpkins, is such an unusual drummer. I mean, he's more jazz style than anything. So the drum yeah. lines are so weird. And she was she just could not keep time. And she was a marching band. So she knows all about, yeah. you know, keeping time. Yeah, she's got rhythm. Yeah, she's absolutely got rhythm. And yet that song, she was just like, I fucking hate this song. I can't wait till the song's over. <laughs> um so many uh, small indie games on there as well. Things like Fluidity and Yet It Moves. Uh, the Bit Trip series. I love mm-hmm. the Bit Trip series. Um, the the DuckTales remake might have been on there. Um, might have been. Yeah. yeah. I think I've got it on PlayStation 3 now that I think about it. So I may, may be wrong. Anyway. Um, and of course, Wii Sports. Uh, I. First time I remember playing Wii, a couple friends got the Wii before we did. They brought it over. We played Wii Sports for about four hours. Um, Mm. And, you know, it was brand new. So we just assumed that you had to do the full motion. You know, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Getting tennis elbow. (laughs) Yeah. Not being able to lift our arms for the next day or two. Um, That's funny. But it was fun. It's a good workout. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And of course, the virtual console. Yeah. That might be the, even though there are now other ways to play retro games. I mean, emulators already existed, but yeah. computers have come so far to be able to emulate damn near everything. Like, you know, at the time it really was one of the optimal ways to do it. If you wanted to pay for sure. Yeah. You didn't have like a high end PC. Yeah. It I was, agree. It was just convenient to be able to go, Oh look, they've got Donkey Kong country. They've got Neo Geo games. They've got, yeah. but, you know, and there were so many. I, that was the first time I experienced the TurboGrafx 16. That was the first time I experienced a co- um, some N64 games, uh, Neo Geo games. There were certain games on there, games that will come up in future topics. I, I'm positive um, for oh, yeah. all of these systems and games that I just missed uh, from systems that I had. It was just, it was such an, a fun way to rediscover history. And I, I'm still kind of pissed that Nintendo decided to go with the Nintendo Switch Online mode instead of the Virtual Console. But yeah, I mean, they kind of drip feeded the Virtual Console too, if you think about it. Though, so the only difference is you can't really pick and choose. They just kind of release the games for you. Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds about it because nowadays it is so easy to emulate things. So it's convenient to be able to hop on my Switch and play certain games, especially when they do those little hacks that they do. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I totally get the sentiment. All right. So how about you for the Wii? What have you got? I was a late adopter to the Wii, so I didn't 
play it in its hay. There's a lot of games I really love on the Wii, and there's some good memories too. Like we played uh, Wii Sports Resort a lot because I really love the sword fighting and the archery. It was so good at the archery. It feels good to nail a bullseye in that. You know what I mean? It does. And just the the use of the kind of higher accuracy uh, motion plus sensor in the Wii. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To be able to do the sword fighting and uh utilizing the nunchuck and stuff for the the bow and arrow stuff it was really 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 fun like i enjoyed that so much and i enjoyed doing we fit because we fit would incorporate a lot of we sports resort stuff into it depending on the types of mini games that you would play like you could jog around the resort stuff like that which is really neat um my friend and i played house of the dead overkill and we beat it on the Wii. house of the dead overkill is one of the raunchiest nastiest grindhouse style games i have ever played and we played it on the little old baby kid-friendly wii i mean there's literally i guessed it too which i guess makes me sick in the head but there's literally a part where the main bad guy's mom turns into a giant zombie monster that you have to kill and i don't know if i'm ruining this it's an older game so i'm just gonna go ahead and say it uh at one point he's like mother and he like reaches out his arms And she's like laying on her back. And I was like, he's not going to do what I think he's about to do. He literally crawls back inside her womb. (laughs) If you could see Jet's face right now. (laughs) I did not expect that. Dude, House of the Dead overkill is fucking gnarly. Okay. Um, Oh, my God. And I'm not a big fan of stereotypes, although sometimes something's so ridiculous, you have to laugh. Uh, one of the characters is black, and he is such a 70s black dynamite exploitation style character. Every other word out of his mouth is, motherfucker! Like, it's, <laughs> it's so good. It's terrible. It's so good. Um, and my friend and I had such a fun time like playing through that. I feel, like, just, I feel like when uh, there weren't a whole lot of M-rated games on the Wii, but I feel like when there were M-rated games... They went in the people who made them were like, Oh no, this dial is going to 11. Like, yeah, that that was certainly the case for overkill. (laughs) Mad world. No more heroes. It was just like, yeah, turn up the volume, make this the most raunchy, vile thing. Yeah. No, no more heroes, especially no more heroes too. I think in the beginning of that game, there's some wild shit that goes down that I recall, but uh, yeah. So um, those are pretty much the kind of Wii memories that stick out to me. And then of course, you know, like you said, going to friends' houses and playing Wii sports, always a good time. I love, I love the Wii and I'm grateful to the Wii for how ubiquitous it made gaming to it, the currently non-gamers. Yep. I'm not saying that gaming landscape would not be the same without it today. Uh, but I wonder, cause there's a lot of little old ladies that play games now, you know, and they play hard. Like there's this. YouTube channel I follow called food for dogs. And it's this little old lady who is in love with Japanese RPGs. She is awesome. Like she puts my collection to shame. (laughs) And I love like watching her talk about like persona and shit. And you know, there's a lot of like really cute, um, young, like girls who, when we were young would not touch games. And now like they're obsessed with them. There's a lot of, you know, older women streamers. Like there's a lot of different demographics that weren't targeted that I lamented about that now are really into games. And I kind of wonder if the diversity and the, um, approachful approachableness, (laughs) if that's a word of the, we didn't contribute to that, you know? I would agree with that. Yeah. It's definitely the system that, I mean, I remember my mother-in-law or my in-laws coming over uh, and they were, they had heard of it. They're like, well, what's this week? Can we try it? And, you know, we played 
Wii Sports with them and seeing my mother-in-law attempting to swing a baseball bat or golf or whatever. Uh, I want to say there was a couple of other casual games that she tried. I think something on Wii Play maybe. But yeah, yeah, it was literally a game system that anybody on Earth could pick up. and It brought people together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was very successful. All right. Uh, let's do PS3 next. PS3. Huh. So interesting. Both of these systems I got as gifts. Okay. Uh, from my wife. My, she surprised me completely with the Wii. Uh, just out of the blue, she bought it. She found one one day at a Walmart and she got it. Uh, cool. the, the PS3, she didn't, she did her best to hide it. Um, <sighs> We were draw. I remember that she got it for me for Christmas, and it was like 2008, I think. About a month beforehand, she goes, "So, if you were to get a PlayStation Three, what game?" And it came with a game. What game would you want with it? I'm like, what "Kind of fucking question is that?" I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Depends on the depends on what games are available. Well, say it was this or this or this, and. She gave me like three options, and one of them was yeah. Castlevania: Lords of Shadow. I'm like, oh, the Castlevania game. Absolutely yeah. the Castlevania game. Sure. Um, that happened to be my Christmas present was the PlayStation 3 and Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Dope. So that is my starting memory of it. Um, so thank you, dear, for both of those. Um, controversial opinion. I loved Lords of Shadow. I thought it was a great reboot of Castlevania. I know I, that I, a lot of people are like, it's a God of War clone. Yeah, but it's yeah. a good one. Now, if you're going to copy a game. Copy a decent game. Go- Ghost Rider was like that. I was very surprised by how good Ghost Rider was. Totally copy God of War. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> it, it, I don't need a game to be original. I just need it to be well done. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So PlayStation 3, Uh. I mean, I could mention God of War 3, yeah. but I mean, what what more can we say about God of War that we haven't already said? Right. Uh. Diablo three. I still, I have bought that. I think on every PlayStation system that has come out, I've rebought it. So I've, I no, I haven't rebought it on four on five. I just imported my game from four. Um, it's so fucking cool on switch because switch has a little goblet, the treasure goblet amiibo, which can take you to treasure town anytime you want. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's like this special treasure dungeon that you get to go to once a day using the amiibo. And it doesn't make the game easy, but it's such a leg up as far as like getting kitted out. You know what I mean? When you want to start a new run. I yep. love it. I love it. So uh Diablo 3 is one of the few games I've platinumed. Um okay. and just for our just so you know, uh listeners and you, Mike, um, to platinum it, one of the requirements is you have to get six different characters to paragon level wow that's a lot of fucking grinding that is it speaks to how fun the game is though that you were willing to do that 237 hours i've clocked on that game so far that is skyrim levels of amount of gameplay jesus christ yeah (laughs) and i still play it every now and then i'll be like i'm bored what do i do oh diablo um i'd say there's i mean there's so many games that i could list off on this um tokyo jungle like i said god tokyo of war so god i love ah, tokyo jungle that, i love tokyo jungle that game did not <laughs> get the appreciation that it deserved it should have been so more well it should have been more promoted yeah i mean for those who don't know what tokyo jungle is imagine post-apocalyptic earth uh specifically tokyo where 
it gets overgrown. There are no humans, but it's animals trying to survive. And you could be anything from like a Pomeranian trying to like grow and fight other Pomeranians and then eventually mate. And then like your babies, like you control them and like, you're just trying to, it's like an arcade experience. Almost. You're trying to go as many years as you can down your lineage before you perish to all the way up to like playing as a dinosaur. Like it's so cool. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's what, like there it's split into herbivores and carnivores. There's like, yeah. So there's two different styles of gameplay, right? Where you, you, you are carnivores. You have to attack other animals and eat them or you have to avoid them. Right. And they're both, both gameplay styles are equally as fun. Even if it doesn't sound like it, it's really cool. Yeah. And there's just dozens of different kinds of animals. Like you said, everything from a Pomeranian or a bunny all the way up to deer and bear and tigers and just, just all sorts of wild shit. Yeah. Great game though, and it like I said, did not so get cool. needed way more attention. Yeah, it um, did. Saints Row the Third, my favorite Saints Row game. Uh, Saints Row Two for me, I think. But yeah, Saints Row. <laughs> I, I do love Saints Row Two. I like the humor a little bit more in Saints Row Three, but I can see it. I, I yeah, like I ain't mad at you for loving. For, we talked for, about this before on my other show, but I the Saints Row Two for me, like we both have kind of like our threshold for the mix of absurdness and down to earthness and i feel like they hit the perfect balance in in like for me what hits for me as far as silly and serious because if you get too silly if everything's silly then nothing's silly right but if everything's too serious like so and saints row 2 came out around the same time as grand theft auto 4 and grand theft auto 4 is a good game don't get me wrong but grand theft auto 4 i felt like really left behind a lot of the goofiness that made the ps2 games a lot of fun and try to go for a more serious, realistic narrative, not only in its narrative, but also its gameplay. Yeah. And I, there was some, something lost with that, that saints row Two filled the gap in for. Absolutely. I would agree with that for GTA four was, um, kind of up its own, butt with seriousness, a little bit, a little bit. And, yeah. and luckily they even out with five cause five is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, four, they were trying to go a different direction. They didn't quite iron it out and they kind of lost their balance that they've maintained, you know, since San Andreas, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, I would say this generation for me, one of the big things for it was indie games. Like there's okay. so many indie games on this, not the, there's anything wrong with AAA franchises. Um, Cause I mean, there's just dozens and dozens on there that are ma- amazing, but games like uh rainbow moon, which was a wonderful throwback to JRPGs from the 1990s. For sure. Um, the, uh, I mentioned the DuckTales remake earlier uh, retrograde. If you haven't mm-hmm. played that retrograde is this wonderful I- idea where it's a shmup in reverse combined with a rhythm game. So you, it takes place at the end when you've already successfully defeated the mate, the, all the bad guys, but beating the bad guys has caused a rift in the space time continuum. And now you have to go backwards in time and suck up all your bullets and unkill everybody. And you do that with a guitar hero style like with, with the lanes, like in Guitar Hero for the different mm-hmm. strings, it's played out in the same way. So there's like, depending on difficulty, there could be anywhere from three to five different lanes that you go through avoiding things and tapping the button to get the bullets or the lasers back. 
I think I completely forgot about that game until you mentioned it. Like Memory Unlocked. I remember, I don't know if I played it or played much of it, but I do remember the concept and thinking it was really neat. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's got the, a kick-ass techno soundtrack. Like, I'm not huge on techno. but It's the, gotta, though. Yeah. <laughs> the, the soundtrack is just fucking, it's so adrenaline. It's like, it's techno on the verge of synthwave. And it's just, it, it's so pump. It, it gets you pumping. You're, you strap in. You're like, fuck yeah, let's go. Woo. Love uh, it. Yeah. Um, uh, Dead Nation, Super Stardust HD. I could Dead Nation's good. Yeah. Uh, there's so many great indie games on the PlayStation 3 and in that generation in general. It's, yeah. Seventh gen for people who weren't already PC gaming heavy, because obviously you got introduced to indies a little earlier. But for the seventh generation, just having those online stores really opened things up for indies to platform themselves. And you had, um, you know, I don't know if PS3 did it as much, but I know Xbox 360 really put pushed XBLA, Xbox yeah. Live Arcade. And they really, and to Microsoft's credit, they don't do everything, I would say, the best in terms of their competitors. But one thing that they have always done well and continue to do well to this day is have a good relationship with indies. They have a great relationship with indies. Sony has been always shaky on that. Nintendo is getting really good, but Xbox has been like pretty consistent. And I got to play my 360 was my main uh, console of just generation. I got to play so many cool indies. So I'll talk about that in a moment for sure. Uh, but yeah, that would, uh, the last thing I would say, um, this is just, this is completely pointless, but it's something that I just kind of like to strut about. Um, I have three delisted games on the PlayStation three. So it's like, I, I look at the PlayStation or my PlayStation three and go, it could be worth money to someone. Yeah. <laughs> um, those being the X-Men arcade game. Yeah. The Simpsons arcade game mm-hmm. and NCAA football 14. Yeah, I regret greatly not buying those two arcade games. I mean, I have versions now, so it's fine. But at the time, I was like, oh, no. The minute I saw them, I'm like, I'm getting those. I That's memories. And I didn't think that the license would run out and then they'd get delisted. So when it happened, I was yeah. like, oh, shit. Well, I've still got them. Great. Yeah, I'm a little bummed about the HD re-releases of Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2 um, being on like the 8th gen systems. But those got delisted. And oh, I don't know wow. if they ever got physical versions. Like I can't find them anywhere. Hmm. Um, and I really wanted to check those out because uh, they, they weren't like the best games ever. But Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 was actually pretty good. Uh, or no, excuse me. The original Marvel Ultimate Alliance was really good. The two, it was all right. But yeah, I would have liked to gone back and check those out, you know, if, with modern whatever. So, yeah. What are you going to do? Yep. Uh, I, again, I adopted PS3 late, which was cool. Cause I got, I have this really cool limited edition red God of war PS3 slim. So nice. that's fun. Yeah. But, and it came with like all the God of war HD re-releases plus God of war three. So I like in Ascension, I think I had like four games it came with, which is really neat. Um, I got PS3 and immediately picked up Nino Kuni wrath of the white witch which is one of those games that when you get it and you settle in, like it's all you think about and all you do until it's done. It is such a vibe. I love studio Ghibli films first off anyways. Uh, so the fact that like, that's the studio they were working with for the art direction and the story was great. And it definitely felt like a studio Ghibli film, to be honest uh, with its themes about the mother and the son. Uh, but also 
the fact that it was a level five game, level five doesn't get enough love for like how well they craft RPGs. And I think the studios know more, unfortunately, uh, but it made a lot of great games before, you know, it perished. And Nino Cooney is definitely among those. Uh, Metal Gear Solid four. I had wanted to play that game for so long because because 360 was my choice that generation. And I was such a huge Metal Gear fan. That was the one thing I lamented not being able to play when it came out. So when I finally got to play it, as much of a mess as that game is, my goodness, it's still to me all the fan service in it, you know, and all the fun parts, especially returning the Shadow Moses. Wow. Like it I hopefully they can get it, you know, ported to more stuff soon. I, I I'm thinking that, you know, with the Konami re-releasing Metal Gear that that's coming, maybe possibly to other systems. Cause right now, as of today, I believe it's still locked to the PS3. I think it's slated for the volume two collection yeah that's what i'm saying so i want to say that i heard that but and it was locked for good reason because it definitely was very celebratory of the ps3 and integrated like they have ps3 controller in the cutscenes to control the little robot guy and they use a lot of the six axis and other you know quirks of the ps3 so i get why that might be a bit of a nightmare to port but i'm glad that they're attempting it so infamous what a cool game that is the the parkour the the superpowers the electricity and all that i remember playing that on a demo and going i have to have this game and then one of the games i had a lot of fun with um my friend had a ps3 so i went to his place to play a lot of ps3 games but i played heavy rain at his place now say what you want about david cage and i definitely can and will um (laughs) but when it comes down to like mindless crazy drama you know what i mean like if you don't think about it too hard like if people enjoy like reality tv shows for the bullshit heavy rain is so ridiculous but it, it it's so enthralling at the same time knowing that the choices you make and your success and the button presses and the timed events and everything could dictate whether or not people live or die and that's permanent and you just have to keep going on with the story that made things so tense for me and you put that on top of a murder mystery Yes, please. I love detective games. I love murder mysteries. So it was such a unique experience at the time. And obviously not only has uh, David Cage made a lot of those games, but other people like Supermassive have come along and done it even better. Uh, at the time, having that experience and like just literally screaming at the TV and going nuts, like, oh my God, get out of there. You know, all the tense situations that he created, like it's such an experience that you know you can't really have unless you had it in that time and i'm really grateful for having been able to play it in its hay thanks to my friend so it reminds me that whole genre um reminds me a lot of the old choose your own adventure books that existed when we grew up yeah for sure because that was this i mean yes unless you uh i held my fit my finger on the page i can go back um but that really reminded me of that where there's a dozen different outcomes and it just depends on what button you press and, and whether you press it t- in a timely manner or not. Or uh, the decisions you make too. Cause right. sometimes it came down to, do I go left or right? Do I say this or do I say that? Yeah. Yep. So for sure, for sure. All right. I think that brings us to the Xbox 360. This one's all you, man. I don't have, I never had one. Awesome. We're at an hour or two, so I'm going to try to do my best because I really do want to finish this. We, we have other stuff we need to talk about. Uh, the Xbox 360 was my main. Um, I already talked about Saints Row 2. Lost Odyssey 
is an RPG that any fan of Final Fantasy should experience because to me, Mistwalker was a studio that Hironobu Sakaguchi created after he left Square. And he's the basically the father of Final Fantasy. Even if he didn't directly write the stories in the later entries, he was the executive producer and he had heavy influence over them. And the vibe of Final Fantasy definitely shifted after 10 when he left. But to me, in my heart, the true Final Fantasy XI is, is Lost Odyssey because <laughs> that's the game he made right after. And it has that vibe. And speaking of a game that can make you cry, oh my God, it pulls the heartstrings like you wouldn't believe. And the the hook of Lost Odyssey that really helps it stand out other than its story, its graphics, and its combat is the way that it kind of goes into the backstory of its main character. The main character's name is Kaim, and he's been alive for a thousand years. He doesn't know why he's immortal, but he is. He's often a mercenary because obviously a mercenary that can't die is a pretty valuable asset. So he's fighting on this side or that side. Things can get pretty chaotic, but he always comes out of it alive. And he has amnesia, so his memories are unlocked as he goes through the story and sees things that trigger his memories. And the way that his memories play out are in these beautiful like text-based scrolling reading segments that play alongside sound effects, visuals, and music. But you're basically just reading a story about his past. And I'm, I believe they got a, a pretty famous professional writer to write these stories, but I don't remember what their, their name was. It might have been a Japanese writer, but the stories are so impactful and beautiful and like touching. And I don't know, like I, I can't really explain it, but like my favorite part about that game was just like, just chewing through those stories and like experiencing them and reading them and thinking about them. And then like thinking about them later, uh, it was so interesting to get me closer to this character but also just to have like to to it was it was like reading small awesome books throughout the game you know what i mean yep. and the stories would only last a couple of minutes but they were so good they were so good like they were like the it's probably the best collection of short stories i've ever read in my life like and, and that's the weirdest place and the weirdest place to have found them yeah that's, yes 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 so uh love lost odyssey for that gears of war lots of fun playing with friends lots of fun doing the co-op lots of fun i love angie <laughs> red dead redemption mass effect god mass effect felt like star wars to me like it was such a fun rpg there was such a vibe especially like you know in the citadel and going through like the seedy underbelly and fighting like the gangs and then like you know jet setting out to different planets and driving around on planets with the mako and then like the first time a thresher maw pops out of the ground like these giant alien beasts and you're like what the shit is this and it will kill you if you're not prepared um and then just the ending and how epic it was and like the ship battles and like what the the threat you were up against uh was so fun and i just remember just feeling the way i felt the first time i watched star wars and like all that play out and how epic it was it was it was such a cool space adventure and then two took all of that and really streamlined it and made it even better it was like a assemble the squad type game you know you go around and you make decisions and depending on the relationships you and bonds you form of your squad and the different squad mates you get the final suicide mission you could get everybody through alive or everybody could die depending on what you did. So again, like heavy rain or those, you know, those choose your own adventures, the decisions you made really mattered and really affected the outcome of the game. And that was such a nice touch and really attached me 
to the story. So, wow, love that. Uh, Elder Scrolls 4 and 5. Uh, Braid is one of the indie games I wanted to mention that I really liked. It was one of the first times that I played an indie game that really had an impact on me because it was like the Save the Princess narrative, but then you find out that the main character was actually stalking the quote-unquote princess and she was being saved by somebody else, not kidnapped. And then so you have to like rethink everything that you did in the game and and who you are as a character. And I thought that was a really cool twist. Um, Borderlands was the first time I played that and I thought it was amazing. Fallout 3, I think I talked about before. Dead Space. Ah, Dead Space to me is one of the greatest horror games of all time just based on sound design alone. The sound design in that game is top notch. It really is. Arkham Asylum, the whole make me feel like the superhero, like the first time you you like extended your your bat cape and like flew down from a high point. Ah, mm-hmm. I was like, no, 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 no. It's just good stuff. Um, Crackdown. I know that it didn't end well as a series, but originally Crackdown was a lot of fun. It was very arcadey and silly. And the fact that like you would like defeat enemies and depending on how you defeated them, skill orbs would pop out of their body and absorb into you and you become like a bigger, stronger soldier. Like you could jump higher, run faster, all that shit. It was like slowly graduating into a superhero and the progression system was really cool. I remember really uh, digging that. X-Men Origins Wolverine was on that console. The uncaged edition with all the blood and the guts and everything. That was amazing. Um, the only other memory I want to quickly get out of the way is Portal. So we had the orange box, right? With all those games, Team Fortress and all that. And it had Portal. And I remember playing Portal with a friend. And again, it was one of those couch co-op experiences where one person drives and the other person kind of helps you solve the puzzles. And I was on the couch helping solve the puzzles. And... It was such a fun bonding experience trying to figure out how to navigate all of the puzzles and the story. And we had such a good time with it that I remember later on for my friend's birthday, I actually made that black forest cake from the game and gave it to him. And um, he let me know that it was a triumph. So I thought nice. that was cool. <laughs> uh, it was it, the fact that it inspired me to bake something. I think that's an interesting twist on a game for sure. So love the 360. Next to the PS2, it's probably one of my favorite consoles just because of how much I got out of it. So, All right. Well, that brings us to the last generation we'll be covering. Woo! The PlayStation 4 slash Xbox One slash Wii U slash Switch era. Slash Vita slash 3DS. I, I added those. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I got nothing for Xbox or Wii U. Okay. Let me run through um, those along with the mobiles real quick. We'll get them out of the way. So Vita, I really enjoyed the Vita. I got to play Dynasty Warriors next on it. And the fact that I had like a 3D Dynasty Warriors experience on the go mobily was very cool. I had already beaten Persona 4 on PS2, but I got to play Persona 4 Golden, which is the definitive edition on Vita for the first time. That was a fantastic experience. The Vita really is a great little console, and it's almost like the Switch before the Switch was the Switch. But unfortunately, Sony didn't do as good a job as Nintendo did with really supporting the Vita. It was more of a side project for them. And you can kind of see that with the way it was marketed, which is sad. But a lot of the good stuff from Vita has been ported to Switch and other consoles. So if you don't have one, it's not necessarily the end of the world. But if you know, you know. Like the Vita was a great, great handheld console. 
3DS. The only particular memory I have about the 3DS that I wanted to share was in regards to Bravely Default. Uh, it's one of my favorite RPGs. And it, it was it released exclusively on the 3DS. I don't know if it's ever been ported. I know that sequels have, obviously. But um, Bravely Default was interesting because it was one of those games that harkened back to classic RPGs, but with modern amenities. Like, they allowed you to speed up combat. They allowed you to make adjustments to make combat and progression overall more smooth. It had a job system. Jobs could be combined. The, the Brave Default system was basically similar to Octopath Traveler almost, where you could brave by expending these points that you gain every turn in battle to make an attack more strong, or you could default by not attacking or defending and gaining more points to use later. And the ebb and flow of combat could change depending on if you use those points wisely or not in, in how the uh, enemy acted, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a very engaging, swift battle system. The narrative was cool because it was one of those pull the rug out from under you. Are you actually doing the right thing? The style games. And you could loop that game forever if you didn't get it. Like eventually you get it and you're like, oh, oh. And then you have to make a completely wild decision that you think would end the game and it doesn't. And then it goes on into something else. I don't want to spoil it completely because no other game that I've ever played has done it quite like Bravely Default has. So people should check it out. Uh, Wii U breath of the wild is the first time I played that was, was on the Wii U. In fact, I bought a Wii U specifically for breath of the wild because I couldn't get a hold of the switch at the time. <laughs> um, so I liked using the game pad. Cause obviously I think that originally the, um, Sheikah slate, I think is what they call it in the game that yeah. was modeled after the, the Wii U pad. And you can tell by the way, the puzzles are solved and the way that things were worked on it. And the fact that you had like a secondary map while you're playing the game, you didn't have to bring it up as a separate menu was really cool. And there's a game that me and my friend played a lot on Wii U called NES Remix. And I think they have a version for the 3DS as well. Have you ever played NES Remix? No. And it's like one of the few things, one of the few games that hasn't been ported to the Switch that I'm angry about. Because from what I've read of it, it sounds like so much fun. You'd fucking love it, dude. Um, it So for those who don't know, they take all these classic NES games and they give you little challenges, kind of like a retro game challenge a little bit, but basically with real games. So, you know, get a star in Mario or like, you know, uh, get so many points, um, you know, hit a hole in one in, in NES golf. There's all these different challenges. And so my friend would con- and I would controller pass back and forth trying to defeat these challenges. And I was amazed at like some of the games that he was really good at that I would never have gotten the challenge on. And then vice versa. He was like, I can't do this. And I'm like, let me try it. And I would nail it. And they rated you in a star system. You can get one to three stars. But if you really nail the challenge, you got three stars. And then they all turned into rainbow like outlines. So whenever we got rainbow stars, I would just throw my hands in the air and go, rainbow stars! (laughs) (laughs) And my friend would like laugh and we'd have a really good time. But like I was just so celebratory whenever we beat a challenge because I was so happy uh, that one, that a game like this existed and two, that we were able to still like beat these challenges because retro NES games are hard, dude. Yeah. And then <laughs> and some did, of the, from oh, what ahead. I saw the, the roster that they put, uh, like they didn't just go for obvious things. They were pulling a balloon fight and wrecking. Kid Icarus. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. There's a huge list. 
And they remix them too. They'll sometimes put characters from other games into different games and they'll do weird Mario Maker shit with it. And so the the enjoyment came from beating the challenges, from seeing what challenges they would create, and then from the wacky stuff they would do with the assets from the games. It was so fun. Such a good game. Such good memories. Rainbow stars for life. Uh, so that is my memory of the Wii U. And I also have no X-Bone memories. Sorry, X-Bone. I enjoyed playing Sunset Overdrive, but I mean, whatever. The Xbox One, ugh, I'm sorry. It yeah, wasn't for me. That so. was, uh, <laughs> there's not, there's not a whole lot that could be said about that generation from Xbox. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So we got, we got PS4 and we got Switch. Which one do you want to do? Uh, let's get switch out of the way. I don't have a whole lot to say about switch. Um, okay. not out of, out of animosity or anything like that. Uh, I was a very late adopter to switch. I got a switch January of last year. Oh, wow. Uh, so okay. current, well, we're currently taping this in mid December of, of 23. I got it in like January of 22. So I've only, you know, I'm coming up on having it for two years. Um, okay. I, Interestingly enough, the game that prompted me to finally get it, I ended up not liking, <laughs> which was Metroid Dread. Um, I didn't like it either. People hate me for it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, thank you. I feel like the like some type of heretic for saying that as well. I, just, I know. I feel so guilty. I, and I love Metroid. I just could not get into Metroid Dread. I didn't jive with it either, man. I really didn't. It, yeah. it, it makes me sad. I really want to, and I want to go back and try it again, but I just, I'm afraid that I'm just going to have the same experience. I didn't like it. Yeah. It's, and it's not even a bad design or anything. It's just, it just didn't hit what Sometimes I wanted Sometimes games to. don't hit, man. Yeah. You know, like, you know, they're good objectively. You can see their design well. You can see that they were competently put together, but for whatever reason, they do not click. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Samus. We don't have chemistry, baby. Not in right. dread. Yeah. yeah. I'm not to tell you. So <laughs> well, well, I can actually say, and I almost feel a little dirty with it. I liked other M before more than I liked dread. Whoo. <laughs> oh, God. And the hate mail flows. Oh, let's just let that sit. Oh my God. Okay, what else? Um, so Mario Odyssey, fantastic Mario oh, game. Um That's my 3D Mario, which I hate because I know it's the most modern one, so it makes me sound like a Johnny come lately, but it's the one that clicked with me the most. I can't help that. I, I can't hate on you for it. It is a beautifully designed Mario. That it's hat, so wonderful. The hat mechanic is for Genius. as much, for as much as I love mario galaxy the one criticism i would give it is that it doesn't the power-ups don't give you the sense of what can i do with this it's what should i do with this mm. mario odyssey i feel gets back to the what can i do with it when you yeah, when you that. get to a world and you can throw that hat take over an enemy or you can get a new power up of some kind it's okay what can I do with this now? How do I get up to that weird tower up there? How do I get across this expanse? How that unlocks so many unique capabilities. Uh, so I can see why that's your 3D Mario. It is a fantastic game. Yeah. Um, the remake of Link's Awakening. Loved that. I'm a sucker for the old for the old style of Zelda. So the remake of Link's Awakening was just delightful. Did you get the game and watch the Zelda game and watch? No, 
You should have. It's Link's Awakening is on there, obviously, with the other game, like your favorite Link 2 and then the original Legend of Zelda. It's a cute little thing just to have like the classic Link games like on the little Game & Watch. I, I got it right over here. I'm looking at it, but it's uh, it's a novelty. It's not something I pick up all the time, but as a fan, I figured you might have picked it up. Yeah, I, I must have missed it. Oh, well, it, it, it's not as obscure as I thought. I occasionally still see it on sale. So look out for it, man. You might be something that you would dig. Seriously. I'll we'll have to do yeah. that. Um, those are probably the big games. Like everything else that I have on there um, is stuff that I jump in and out of. I have games that I need to try. Like I bought Darkwood. I bought Carrion. I bought um, Disco Elysium. I haven't started any of them yet. Yeah. Um I have the Castlevania collection. I play that from now up from time to time. Uh, pinball, what's it called? Pinball Heroes, Zombie Eater, something like that. I can't Okay. Remember. But uh, it's it's an action RPG played with a pinball mechanic. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I have a, a game called Yoku's Island, I think, that is kind of like that. Like It's a dung beetle that moves around via pinball mechanics, but he's moving around this island doing like uh, missions and stuff. Uh, kind of Metroid-esque because you unlock areas as you, you know, advance the story or whatever, but it's pretty cool. So. Yeah. Um, I, I, the only other game that I'd say that it sparks memories be, in a different way. Uh, and it's something that if you are old school like us, it's worth getting, even though you can emulate 80% of the games on there. And that's the Atari 50th anniversary collection. Hmm. That is not just a collection. That is a digital museum. There are video interviews and design documents, advertisements, one sheets, TV commercials. Uh, you can literally trace this. It brings the history of Atari back before they were even Atari when they were Synergy, Syzygy. I, it's... It's like a name with like three Y's and two Z's. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Um, but it traces the history all the way back. You see every major arcade game they re-release, they released before the 2600. All of the consoles, they don't shy away from the Activision split or the utter failure that was the Lynx and the 5200 and the Jaguar and the 7800. Frankly, everything but the 2600. Um, wow. But there are games from everything, arcade, 26, 52, 78, Lynx, Jaguar, and the Atari computers. That's cool. And they just did, I discovered this, I didn't even know they were doing it, uh, just a couple days ago, they announced a holiday, or they re released a holiday update with 12 new games, some of them homebrew. So they're even embracing homebrew and modern remakes. So like, there's a, there's a homebrew sequel to Adventure, just Mm -hmm. Adventure 2 it was made uh, mid-2000s. And they're going to do a couple more raw releases. So if you've ever wanted to play obscure game Atari games, it's a great way to play um, like Tempest 2000 from the Jaguar. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, that alone is practically worth the price, worth the price of admission. But there's so much. There's, at this point, there's over 60 games on there. It's for old school gamers. It is just manna from heaven celebrating Atari in a wonderful way. Yeah, no, that sounds like a retro collection done right. I love it when they have all the extras, like the arcade versions, the interviews, 
you know, like all the different uh, pieces of history and stuff. So you can kind of really not just play the games, but go back and appreciate, you know, the time. That's yep. neat. I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. Is that it for Switch or? Yep. That's, I, I'd say that's it for me for Switch. Okay. I adopted Switch in 2017, so I have a pretty healthy history with it. Um, Super Mario Odyssey is not only my favorite 3D Mario game, but I have memories of it tied with my first son because that was like the first game that he really got into. And then he just loved Mario, loved, loved Mario. And then around that time, Smash Brothers Ultimate was about to come out. So I was watching a lot of trailers and he learned the names of like all the characters. So imagine this little like... 18 month year old, like standing in front of the TV in his diaper going chic soda link Marth, like just yelling them all out. And then like, I got amiibos and he's obsessed with playing with those. So I got him his own amiibos and like, it was just a kind of bonding thing for us. Really, really sweet. And I remember the, um, sometimes he'd watch me play games, uh, when he watched me play ref of the wild. And I did links kind of like when you hold the sword attack button and he does like the three sixty swoosh mm-hmm. that made him laugh for some reason. He thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. Yeah, dude, little kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, you never it's know going to make a baby laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I love memories of just a little baby laugh while I was playing games and smash brothers ultimate. um, the two of us following that all the way up until it's release. And then just the celebration of games that ultimate is. And the fact there was not one, but two DLC packs with all those different characters and like all these characters getting their own amiibos like Sephiroth and Sora and Kazuya. Like that's so cool. Um, I just couldn't believe it. You know, like the licenses they were able to achieve. It really is a celebration of gaming in regards to the way that they were able to pull in all these different publishers to work with them and get all those uh, characters into one fighting game. You know what I mean? It, uh, it gives like, you know, homebrews and knockoffs like move in like a run for their money. Cause they, they really went there. They, it was amazing. I don't know how um, Voy will ever top it. Yeah. I don't think they will. I think ultimate's going to have to stay on its own and they're going to have to innovate a bit if they want to do another one, which is probably why it's been, been so long. Cause, uh, they can, they can, I mean, again, they're continuing to start new IPs. They, there's definitely rosters of characters that they haven't dipped into that they own that they could. So there is more game to be had, but the odds of them doing what they did again are pretty low. Maybe one day they will. I don't know if it'll be Sakurai at the helm though. That, that man is a maniac and damn near killed himself to get us the game that we got. So God yeah. bless that man. Seriously. The only, the only way that I could see without innovating, if they were to just continue the formula forward, but top that the only way I could see them pulling that off is they, if they went full Roger rabbit and it wasn't just, the best of Nintendo and third parties, they somehow looped in Sony and Microsoft and were like, okay, let's bring in Nathan Drake. Let's bring in Master Chief. That's the only way that they could continue just on this straight line. Microsoft would be down. Sony would not. Oh yeah, no. So, Sony would be like, yeah, that's cute. Go away. Yeah, Sony sucks. <laughs> like I, as much as I love them, they don't play well with others. Mm-mm. So it is what it is. Um, speaking of indie games, super giant made a lot of really decent games. Um, bastion, I first played on 360, but the most recent one they made Hades is fantastic. And the thing I, I love most about Hades is it's a roguelike that incorporates the roguelike structure into its story. 
in such an organic way mm-hmm. that it really feels like you're advancing a narrative even when you're dying and starting over and doing repeated runs over and over again. Like you're always heavily advancing your narrative as well as your your overall efficacy in battles, which is something roguelikes can do. But the story usually always takes a backseat in order to make it make sense, right? And in, yeah. and in this case, they really did a good job integrating that. So fantastic music. D- uh, Darren Korb does the music, I think, for all of Supergiant's games. And every single soundtrack they have, uh, Bastion, uh, Transistor, Hades, like they're bangers through and through from start to finish. I've never like seen such a consistency out of a single composer. Like it's a, well, maybe Nobu Umatsu, but even then, like there's bodies of work that of his that I like, and there's, there's ones that I don't, but with Darren Korb, it's just every single one hits. So shout out to him. Uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus came out on Switch, and it was the Pokemon game I had dreamed about since 1998. Like being able to like be out in the field and physically chuck your Pokeball at a Pokemon in the open world, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. thunk them on the head with it and watch them go inside or whatever. Like being able to freely run around during battles, battles being a little bit more streamlined. A lot of the extra bullshit, like hidden individual and effort values being either removed or streamlined, the natures, all of that just felt more simple and fun rather than like meta and made to be like competitive in real life, which a lot of people like that aspect of Pokemon and I respect it, but it's so time consuming and it's so competitive already that for me, the other stuff is more enjoyable. The exploration, the discovery, the stuff that Arceus really focused on. So I love it for that. Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Kirby single-handedly, I think, got my first son into video games in a major way. It encouraged him to read. It encouraged him to learn how to play in a 3D space. Um, he's super into the fandom. Like Kirby's his favorite thing ever and has been for a number of years since that game came out. So I have a soft spot in my heart for Kirby, specifically for how it really encouraged and got my son into video gaming. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, to me, remains the best story Fire Emblem has ever had. And it all of the characters, like, I usually don't like JRPGs with a lot of different characters because the characters get so tropey. Like, this is the beefcake, and this is the weirdo recluse, and this is the dark edgelord, and this is, you know, like, mm-hmm. and they have those characters. They have all the archetypes. They're all represented, but they're deeper. They have more to say. There's more of an exploration of why they are the way that they are. They're, they're, they're more than just two dimensional, if that makes sense. And you get the chance to really get to know them over the course of the game because they have this persona-like structure where in between battles, you're at an academy and you're a teacher there and you can interact and deepen your relationships with all of them and do different activities. So there's a good gameplay loop of doing the battles, but also bonding with and doing extra activities with your soldiers so that you feel you feel it more if they perish. You know what I mean? You feel it more if they're in danger. And your bonds pay fruitful dividends in battle, kind of like Persona. Like if you have a stronger bond with somebody, then the the attacks are going to be stronger when you guys are side by side. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So good stuff. Uh, Ease 8 is the first Ease game I ever played. And I think it originally launched on Vita. And it is a great action RPG. And I got it as a gift from my best friend because I, uh, Full Metal Merc, uh, co-host with the co-most, 
he got a PS Classic and I hacked it for him for free. I was like, oh man, I already hacked mine. I can do yours. It'd be easy. And and as a thank you, he gave me a $60 Switch game. And I was like, dude, thanks. Nice. And I think he just really wanted me to get into it because he was into it. And sometimes that doesn't always work. And I remember when I booted Ease 8 up and I started playing it, I was like, oh, this is like JRPG trash. Like I didn't like it. The story, like the characters seemed dull and tropey. But you're like, you're on this ship. But then once the shipwreck happens, like in the first 20 minutes of the game and you get stranded on this island and the game kicks off proper and the music starts going and you're fighting, I'm like, whoa, this is good. So (laughs) I've been like a fan of Ease ever since. I don't think any Ease game I've played has been as good as Ease Ease Origins comes close. But um, the fact that, you know, I got it as a gift from a friend and he really wanted me to get into it and I did. I thought that was kind of cool. So, uh. A lot of Warriors games on the Switch. And again, Dynasty Warriors 2. Love it. They combined it with Zelda, Hyrule Warriors. They combined it with Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem Warriors. They combined it with Persona, Persona 5 Strikers. And the cool thing that they launched from Persona on is Persona 5 Strikers is a sequel, essentially, to Persona 5. Because it takes place in the events after Persona 5. But different gameplay style, right? Which I love. Because it felt like a Persona game, just that, you know, the combat played out differently. Hyrule Warriors sequel, Age of Calamity, felt like a what-if prequel to the original Breath of the Wild. So you got this cool, like, well, what if you were able to stop Ganon from destroying everything in the hundred years, you know, prior to the game starting? Mm -hmm. Here's how that might look. That's amazing. Um, Fire Emblem Warriors, the sequel to that was literally three houses, but again, a what if scenario, if three houses took a different turn from the shift that it does in the original game, very cool. And you get to revisit all those characters again. So the thing they're doing with Warriors games nowadays, especially in the Nintendo properties where they're incorporating them to the more of successful stories of the franchises, because that's always been the weakest thing about Warriors and Musou games is the story, especially when they adopt other franchises. The original Fire Emblem Warriors and the original Hyrule Warriors, they do this like kind of like isekai everybody gets warped to a, the same dimension so you have all these characters from all these different games but the story is so weak and everybody interacts in such a shallow way it's really lame it's all about the gameplay but in these newer ones the story is just as powerful and awesome and engaging as the original game it's inspired by and i love that i love that so much um I wrote down Golf Story and Octopath Traveler. Good games. Check them out. But I've talked enough. The Switch is awesome. I love it. There you go. (laughs) We're an hour and a half in. Let's put this bitch to bed with the PS4. Yes. All right. The last one. Um, Yes. All right. Uh, We've mentioned God of War a few times. And we haven't said much about it other than, duh, it's God of War. Yeah, it's good. This is the one system where I have to actually stop and actually say something about God of War. Uh, when I spoke earlier about Metal Gear Solid 3, I said it was the first game that ever made me cry. Yeah. God of War 2018 is the second game. Mm. The themes of fatherhood, of the generation gap, the of mourning and not knowing how to get past that you know how the child how uh atreus mourns versus how kratos mourns yeah um 
those themes are just so well told in this game. This is the game where Kratos... I've always pushed back against the Kratos as a one-dimensional character. He has a backstory. It's just he doesn't show anything. You know, He has depth to his character. He just doesn't show it in the original series because it's all about him being angry about what happened to him. Yeah, the original series kind of took an exploitative turn. Like It definitely leaned heavier into the angst at the sacrifice of the character. Yeah. Where he'd do shit like he would burn a woman alive if it meant solving a puzzle, right. which is fucked up, especially considering he's supposed to be so sad about killing his own family that he wants to kill himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't line up. So I get it. I get the criticism. Yeah, I get I get the criticism. I just, I think there's more, I think the criticism also tends to go, oh, he was one dimensional. No, he wasn't one dimensional. It's just they didn't really have him reckon with what he was doing and you know, connect with the emotions that he was having. This yeah. is the game where that all happens. This yeah. is the game where everything that he's done, everything he has lived through has all come back to haunt him. And it's why he is the father that he is and why the relationship between him and Atreus is fractured. And just the themes in that game and the way that they explore it is just so touching. It's so well-written. And it's just, besides that, an amazing game to play. The gameplay is. is impeccable. The view, the I'm not a graphics whore by any means, but the the visuals in that game are stunning. The oh, music, yeah. everything about that game, it, it is a 10 out of 10 as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I 100% completely agree. Um, it was kind of a Resident Evil 4 turn too, because you took this franchise that was not played out, but it, it had a formula. You completely reinvent how it's played and not only nail it, but nail it in the same way as when it debuted. You create this gameplay loop in this world that hits just as hard, mm -hmm. but it's completely different, right? Um, amazing, amazing turn. And storytelling from Corey Barlog. I enjoyed the story of the first God of War way more than the second and the third. I thought the second was even more exploitative, and I think that's where kind of things kind of took a turn. But Corey Barlog directed the second game. And to see his maturity and advancement as a storyteller from God of War 2 on the PS2 up to God of War PS4 is nothing short of incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I think I owe a lot of that probably to him just, you know, maturing and aging as a man, him having his own family and being able to kind of effectively pour those uh, emotions and lessons and that piece of his life into this game. And you feel it. It feels very genuine and very real. And as I don't think you can you can appreciate it if you're not a father. I think you totally can. Any adult that has ever mentored or cared for a child can feel the sincerity in this game in regards to the relationship between Kratos and Atreyu. And it stuck to my ribs. And it's one of those games that I got really emotional about and thought about for a very long time after I finished it, just like Last of Us Part Two, just like uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, but in particular, specifically as what it feels like to be a dad. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it was really good. Absolutely. Uh, Spider-Man, another game oh. that, ah. um, beautiful, fun story, fun gameplay, uh, but web swinging. Oh my God. I yeah. like my, bo my, my older boys are multi-gamer or, or multiplayer gamers. They love COD. They love Fortnite. They love all sorts of things like that. Mm. But for some reason, the only single player games that they that either of them play and have beaten are the Spider-Man games. And I, when they they were like, can 
can I borrow your Spider-Man game? I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, well, what's the gameplay like? And I described it to him. I said, if nothing else, you will never fast travel in this game. You will swing <laughs> through the city every single time. And yeah. the fir- after they played it, they went, oh, yeah. No, we- why would we use the subway? Swinging is just so much fun. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't think it would get better than Spider-Man 2 um, on the um, the original 6th uh, gen, you know, mm-hmm. like based on the movie, because that was really good. But yeah, they nailed it. They really did. Uh, yeah. Especially from Miles Morales and, and the recent sequel, like that even more so. Like the power of the PS5. One of the things I didn't like, uh, do you remember in Saints Row 3 where you, fl- you could fly a jet? Mm-hmm. but yeah. it, and even in, in grand theft auto five, like whenever you fly a jet, you don't go as fast as you feel like you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's because they can't really render things that fast in, in the game. We don't have, the, we didn't have the technology. Now I think we do because Spider-Man goes so fucking fast in <laughs> Spider-Man two and in miles and Morales, like you just zip across the city. And I feel like we finally have the rendering power to keep the graphics up when you move that fast through an open world environment. And that is so cool. Yep. I think I that really adds to the momentum and the feeling for sure. Uh, so other games, Hades, you mentioned it for the switch. Um, Hades was a game that I resisted playing for a while. Cause I'd heard so much hype about it and was one of those where the hype started to turn me against it. I'm like, yeah, and you, this, yeah, this totally game is you. never going to be all that good. It's just it can't a bunch, be that good. <laughs> it's a bunch of hipsters just, you know, puffing up an indie game. How could it possibly be any good? And I play and I'm like, it, it went on sale for like half off. I'm like, okay, fuck yeah. it. You know what? I'll pay whatever it was, 15 bucks or whatever. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. So like everything that you said, um, I got to credit to the voice acting in that game. Everyone has such a unique personality and the sense of humor that comes across in the dialogue, whether it's hate, whether it's, um, why am I blanking on the main character's name all of a sudden? Oh, um, uh, it starts with a Z. Uh, thank you. Yeah. He's Hades son. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Zagreus, the, the, the conversations that he has with his dad or the, the uh, conversations he has with, uh, Thanatos, or um the little Medusa head character. What's her name? Uh Dusa. She's so cute. Yes. She's so nervous around him. It's like adorable. I it's can't. Ab- yes, it's it's so cute. Um uh, the flirtation that he has with Megara uh, yeah. is absolutely hilarious. Um even talking to Sisyphus and Sisyphus just being like, Yeah, no, I'm perfectly fine here in this stuck in this room, pushing this boulder up this hill. Why would I want to be free? Yeah. Meet Boldy. He's my friend. That's good stuff. Uh, it's just, it's such a, everything that you said about it, 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 I echo it. It is such, it is worth the hype. Um, Res Infinite, then, I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Uh, yep. Mutant League Football, the rebirth of that is absolutely fun to play. The commentary on it is absolutely bizarre and beyond. Uh, it, it's worth it just to listen to the commentary. Uh, artistic games like Flower and Journey and Abzu, where they're yeah. just chill games. Oh my god! The first time I played Journey was just I was like, "This is antithetical to everything that I've ever played. This is the opposite of a video game, and yet it is beautiful." And yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Darkest Dungeon, Streets of Rage Four, wonderful rebirth for Streets yes. of Rage. <laughs> Fucking love that. I play that game. 
probably once a week. I've beaten it six ways to Sunday, and I still play well, it. Shit, call me up, man. I'll play it with you. That's a fun is, game. It is so addictive. Yeah. Um, and just a, a a goofy one, the AVGN game. I never got a chance to actually play that. Is it pretty good? Oh, my God. It is so fucking incredible. <laughs> I mean, you have to... There is a certain bar of uh, a certain threshold of entry in that you have to like the AV, the angry video game nerd because a lot of the humor in the game yeah. uh, and a lot of the components of the game are from the AVGN series. But even beyond that, it is such an impeccably designed platform shooter game. Mm-hmm. The It is the kind of game where, yes, it's difficult, but the difficulty is never unfair. There is never a moment where you die and it's the computer's fault. It is always, you have not figured out the timing. You have not figured out the escape pattern. You have not figured out the way to do it. It's on you. Mm. And when you finally beat that level, when you finally get past that one point, it, it feels so rewarding to do it. It is such... I. I had no expectation going in that a licensed game from a YouTuber was going to be anything good. And it shocked me how precise it it is just as much as like Shovel Knight. That would be, that'd be a perfect comparison. It is in the same vein as Shovel Knight as it was made by people who grew up like we did playing games like Mega Man and Ninja Gaiden and, Castlevania and they know what makes those games tick, but they also know the problems of those games and mm-hmm. they have addressed those in the design of modern games and said, here's an eight bit style platformer, mm-hmm. but done perfectly. I love it when I get a hold of a game like that. Cyber Cyber Shadow is like that. I like that game a lot. Have you played that one? that one? Out. No, I have yeah, not. Um, I don't know if it was a Yacht Club game too, or if they just produced it, uh, but Cyber Shadow um, reminded me a lot of Ninja Gaiden, but it wasn't like as unfair difficulty. You know what I mean? Like they ramped up the difficulty, but it felt, yeah. So good stuff. Wow. Um, I talked about Until Dawn, I think, being like the ultimate horror game. Ghost of Tsushima. uh, Every time I go back, I forget like, you know how sometimes you go back to a game, you're like, damn, this game is good. Wow. Like you, you remember it being good, but you don't remember it being like good, good. And then you play it and you're like, Ooh, <laughs> the music and the way that kind of like the game hits and, um, the gameplay ghost of Tsushima is one of those games, kind of like the original horizon, uh, zero dawn where you can, cl- it wears its influences on its sleeve. You can clearly see the Ubisoft open world influence. You can see, the you know the stealth mission structure the combat but not only does it nail those elements that it liberally borrows but it it puts its own unique spin on it to where it it just it feels like nothing else and it feels good uh it's so competent uh ghost of tsushima and 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 the recent dlc like are amazing i had a lot of fun playing the multiplayer the guys over at call it like i don't see it and uh me and derek we all got together and did the four-player multiplayer for you know several nights and had a blast uh so i have a lot of good memories associated with that red dead redemption 2 we talk about stories and gaming holy shit dude i need to go back and play that i've only played it once 
And it's one of those games that I like, you know, like you just need to go back and play a game and you just haven't yet. And it always just is there in the back of your mind. Every time I hear the word, I'm like, why haven't I gone back and play that yet? Uh, I really need to. Last of Us Part 2, very emotional, very good. Elden Ring. I forgot about Elden Ring. I think I actually played it on the PS5, but it did come out on the PS4. So I think that counts. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Um, we'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Elden Ring. I really appreciate I'm grateful for Elden Ring because ever since the first Demon Souls came out, I've wanted to like those games. I didn't have a PS3 when Demon Souls first came out, but I did have a 360 when Dark Souls came out. And I got it because I was like, yes, I love the art style. I love the vibe. I love what, what this game is trying to do. And that game just beat me down so much. Like I got through a fair portion of it, but I never finished it because it just, it was just so hard and I couldn't find my rhythm with it, you know? And then I tried playing Bloodborne and it beat me down even quicker. And I was like, oh, okay. And I tried playing Sekiro and it beat me down even quicker. And I want to love those style of games, those from software games so bad. For some reason, I can never really jive with it. And then along comes Elden Ring and Derek gracefully lets me borrow it because he gets it through like, you know, he's a reseller. So he just had it in his inventory and he's like, Hey, if you want to check this out, you know, I'm like, yeah, I am curious. I probably won't like it. And for whatever reason, if it's because of the open world or because of all the different options you have or how excited the community was about the game and all the tips that were out there and the different styles of gameplay I could adopt, it finally clicked. And I not only played and enjoyed it, I beat it several times. And then started to make like different style of characters. Like I made a guts character from berserk and I was playing like as him, I was cosplaying as different characters. I tried to do like a sorcerer character and um, not only got into it, but got super into it. So I'm really, really grateful to Elden ring for finally getting me to click with the Soulsborne genre. And it's making me want to go back and try the other games again with that kind of newfound understanding of the rhythm a little bit, even though I know those are probably still going to be just as hard. So, um, the Resident Evil remakes recently were great. Shadow of Mordor, that whole Nemesis system is amazing. And that pretty much sold the PS4 to me was the, the Shadow of Mordor. Like, I was like, I got to get a PS4 now. You I know forgot I mean? <laughs> about those. Those are great games. Yeah, the yeah. Nemesis system is fantastic. I wish, I wish it wasn't trademarked to WB or whoever it was that has it, because that should be something that every game could use. For sure. No, it's such a good system. Uh, Dragon Quest 11 is to my mind, probably the greatest Dragon Quest game that has come out so far, which again, it's, it's the most modern one. So I feel a little scummy saying that, but like, to me, it just really kind of nailed the formula of Dragon Quest and, and included everything I love about it from all the past games. Resident Evil Village, really, really good, really goofy. Remind me a lot of Resident Evil 4. I wrote down Berserk and the Band of the Hawk. That's another Warriors game where they adopted the Berserk anime story. And the Berserk is actually my favorite anime. And it's weird because it's really dark and depressing and and uh, kind of rough. Have you read the manga or seen the anime? No, I have not. The main character Guts goes through a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I think the reason why I identify him is not because I enjoy watching him suffer or I enjoy like the darkness of the story, but... The way that he he wrestles with his trauma and grows from it, you know, not always in the best of ways, but his arc, just like life, kind of is messy and goes, you know, the right way and the wrong way. 
Um, I just can relate to it a bit, I guess. And I really, really enjoy um, kind of some of the reflections the manga takes on the things that he's gone through and like the journey that he goes through. So being able to play a Musou game based on the Golden Age arc and then on past that to like pretty much the end of the manga at the time. (laughs) <laughs> was like a dream. I remember I got the game and I was just like, ah, and I was like, you know, I got like a, a guts tattoo. If you can see it, like, that's how much I love. Like, cool. <laughs> like anime. And I was like super geeked about it. And it's rare. Not a lot of people bought it. So now it's like worth a lot of money, which is cool, I guess. So grateful that sometimes my fandom accidentally nets me into like rare, expensive, cool things. So <laughs> I guess it's kind of the nature of being a gamer sometimes. So Two yeah. hours. Yeah. Woo. This has been a marathon, but we've made Worth it. it. Yes. We made it. Guys, thank you for going on this journey with us. Three episodes, four hours of us just gushing about the things that we love and are grateful for to be gamers. I hope some of it was enjoyable and inspiring to y'all. And we'd love again to hear from you, your different stories that we can tell throughout the year. Cause, uh, that's one of my favorite things about gaming is just how it affects me and how I get to experience stories that I would never experience any other way. Otherwise, you know, just super grateful. And the community yes. for being able to meet you being able to meet, um, the, uh, I'm friends with, uh, the cast of the super turbo. Oh shit. Now I'm going to fuck up their podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> well, also I do that 10 minutes. <laughs> that one too. Yes. Yeah. Um, Lysia Finley and Stephen White. Hi. Hope you're listening. Um, <laughs> sorry if I messed up the name of your podcast. My brain is – I haven't had caffeine today. Um, but there's so many people that I've met through it, through whether it's through podcasting or just gaming in general, that just – when the sense of community is there, it's just – it's like – it's not like movie Twitter. It's not like music that there's just something – there's a shared experience because you're – actively experiencing it, not passively experiencing it. I think that might be the thing that I'm just most grateful for is the sense of community that gaming can provide. Exactly. Most definitely. All right. Well, I think with that, we can go ahead and wrap it up and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for coming out and listening to us again. Uh, If you want to follow us or contact us, you know where to find it. Look in those show notes for the link tree. Rate us where you can. I think we have enough episodes where we could be effectively rated on Spotify, hopefully. Um, I I would assume so, yeah. And we're on just about every other major podcast platform, Amazon, Apple, Mm -hmm. uh, Radio Public, whatever the hell that is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They're all – if you go to the Spotify page, there's links for all like eight platforms that we're on. So Yeah, yeah. So definitely check us out, share us around, rate us. All that stuff helps us out, helps us grow, helps us find our audience. Yep. And – yeah, we'll, we'll uh, I guess we'll we'll see you next week or yeah. not next week. <laughs> we'll see yeah. you whenever because we're not scheduled, baby. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, next next episode, yeah. In keeping with the theme, remember we we haven't said this publicly, but we've talked about this off the air. We're doing uh, one more timed episode, holiday games. That's right. So you're down to do that. I know oh, you're yeah. kind of iffy. You weren't sure. Okay. You got I, okay. Good. A couple of the entries might be a little stretching the theme a bit. Whatever. Let's do it. We're doing <laughs> it. So next, next episode, holiday games. Yeah. We're going to talk about the best holiday games. Let's go. Just imagine what that can bring. I, I can <laughs> hear people's wheels turning going. They're fucking holiday games. Good ones. Ones we should play. What? 
(laughs) You'll find out next time. All right, guys, you take care. Yep. Until next time.